We're going to be in Matthew 4, um, starting in verse 12. But before we do, I, I want to tell you a little bit is I have a couple of expectations in life. I try to live like, you know, as, as open to what life might bring me. But in, uh, when I was 24 years old, I sold my Jeep uh, Liberty. I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee before that, but I sold it for a Honda Civic because Lauren said we needed something a little bit more economical. And I said, that's great. But I want you to know when I turn 40, there will be a Jeep in the driveway. And if there's not one, I'm going to go out and buy one. Now, that might sound just really shallow. It is. I, the truth is, is like, I, it's something I really want. There's another thing that I really want. Is I want to retire on a lake. Um, not because, like, I want, like, some beautiful big house. It's because I see a day when I'm sitting on the lake with my wife and we enjoy the time house hosting and bringing people up and using our home as a marriage retreat and, and to do discipleship with people. And that's eventually one day where I would like to be. But the thing is, is like, I think we all have expectations in life. And part of what God calls us into is to lay those expectations down, right? The shallow ones, heartfelt ones, the ones even for ministry. I thought I was gonna be a pastor all of my life. Now I've run my own brand agency in business that literally one of my mentors, when I was like 21 years old said, you should never run something because they'll probably like turn it and you just put it straight into the ground. The truth is God is a God who calls us to a journey that we could never even imagine. So this morning, uh, I do want to invite us to the edge, to the edge of another lake, which is where we find ourselves now. Because in this text, so far we've gone from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt to Nazareth, from Nazareth to the edge of the Jordan to the wilderness and the desert. Now we find ourselves right here. This is the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's not like a sea, what you would think a sea would be. It's not like yar and pirates and all that sort of thing. It's more of a lake. I love that Jesus meets people at the lake. Lake life is the best life in my opinion. So I'd like to have you consider just sitting at the edge of this lake, peering out onto its waters. As we focus in on where Jesus meets us this morning in the text, and I'm just going to read it over us. You don't need to read it. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, 
the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began preaching, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed all of them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus, we sit before you. We're expectant, we're hopeful. And today we seek and ask you to speak to us. Put us at your lakeside. Sit with us at the beach as we look at the sea. Father, teach us this morning how to be your people. Pause the chaos, pause our notifications. Meet with us at the water's edge as we keep to know and long to know you more. Amen. So one of the things that I've been challenged over the past couple of months is just a bit about how I even preach, take, uh, just take to teach. Uh, I haven't changed my teaching practice in probably 10 years. Uh, I used to be a teacher, and even in my classroom, I, I would teach the same way. It was a similar structure. It was me, we, God, you, we. Um, it was just a way that I framed all my outlines because a lot of what I feel like as a teacher is what we do is we try to come to the text and we ask the question, what does this mean? Like John the Baptist, he gets arrested. Who did it? Why did they do it? But something that I've been convicted of lately and where I'm really trying to reframe my teaching practice is to ask the question, not necessarily, God, what does this mean? But God, what do you want us to know? Because if, if the word is living and active, it is here for us to not just ask the question of like, what, do you, what does this mean? It's really about, God, what do you want me to know? What what? Do we come to the text listening and asking the question of what, what do you want me to know enough? So as I've approached the text, I have five things that I believe he's wanting to say to us. And for those who are list keepers, here they are. We only got to four of them in the first service. The first one is the way of Christ is costly. Second is his way is to be in our way. Third is come with vulnerability, then come and follow. And lastly, come and see. You will find me. So we're going to start here with the way of Christ is costly. In verse 12, we see this is now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. I think the thing that God wants us to know in this is that the way of Christ is costly. 
When was the last time you considered what the cost of your faith actually is? Because what I know is that if I heard that my cousin was arrested, I know what I would do is I would gather my family, I'd probably try to seek some answers, I'd probably sit down and in shock, like, what is going on here? But that's not what Jesus does. He has a purpose and he has a mission. He knows that faith in him is going to cost something. He knows it's going to cost something to John. In fact, Matthew is using this particular like one phrase right here of ending John. Because at this point, John the Baptist was a big figure. He prepared the way. And then we got to this point where it's like now John is kind of going into the wings of the play. He's baptized Jesus. Now Jesus has been tested and John has fulfilled his purpose. And Jesus' ministry has begun, but Matthew does this in a really poetic way of showing us what's the last thing that we know about John the Baptist here is that he's arrested. And who is going to be arrested as well? It's going to be Jesus. John is continuing to prepare the way. And later, Paul, I mean, John's going to be kind of like, I mean, like, you got to come and get me out of prison, Jesus. And Jesus is pretty clear, even using Isaiah later to say, I, you're not going to be bled out of prison, Paul. I mean, uh, John. You see, I think one of the things that when we come to the text, I think it's, it's a question for us is to wrestle. Like, what did it cost us? And I'm going to ask you that now. In this moment, I'm going to pause for like 30 seconds. And I want you to think about and ask the Lord right now. What does my faith cost me? For some of us, we didn't have to pause. We know what it costs. Whether it be the fragile relationships that you still have, maybe the relationships you don't have at all. One of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed was traveling to the Middle East and hearing stories of Muslims who now follow and passionately love Jesus. But the cost was they never see their family again. But for some of us, maybe we were left in that silence just not knowing. And I'm not asking for us to search for persecution. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is this, is that it should cost us more than brunch. Christianity is a horrible hobby. It takes up a lot of time. And you miss out on waffles in the middle of the day on Sunday. Right? It's just a horrible hobby. It should also cost us more than time management and fitting in your calendar and like trying to get the kids. I mean, like life group on Friday nights is a wild ride. But it should cost us more than that. It should cost us more than the five minutes a day that we say, okay, I'm going to open up Lecto Divina on my, on my phone and listen to a prayer, guided prayer, or I'm going to study the Bible for about five minutes. It should cost us more than that. It should cost us more than 10% of our tithe that we give to our community. And it could 
certainly should cost us more than our own comforts. Because here's the truth. The mystery of Christ is this, is that I think is one of the the biggest things in, in Christ is the great exchange. And that great exchange is this, is that whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That the great exchange, the great cost is this, is the way of Christ is costly, but the treasure of knowing Christ is priceless. And we're left in this moment of now John is like, if you think about it, it's like, it's like anticlimactic. It's like, okay, John's arrested now. But I think it's to call us and ask the question, do we really understand when we commit ourselves to Jesus that we are laying? The next point that I, I want to make is this, is, is his way is to be in our way. So Matthew four thirteen through 16, and Andy, can you type this? Will you go through this while I read it? And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. See, I believe that it is this, is that that Jesus is telling us in this moment, it is his way to be in our way. And what do I mean by that? Is that if you were to look at the Sea of Galilee, you have in the very top, top corner in the middle is Capernaum. And when we read that, that Jesus withdrew to the Galilee, it's a horrible, horrible translation of the word withdrew. Because when we think of withdrawal, we think of retreat, to hide. John the Baptist He's arrested. Jesus needs to hide. No. You know what Jesus does? If he was in West Texas, he'd, lay, he'd, he'd put his boots on, kick off that dust and be like, oh, it's on. And he puts himself in Capernaum, which is on this actual road that people called the way to the sea, because guess what? It is the way to the sea from the east in the desert all the way to the west bank of Israel. Jesus puts himself in this, like, this trade thoroughfare where his message would be heard. He is not hiding. He is not backing down. He is putting himself in the way. In fact, Tiberias, which is down there in the bottom right-hand corner, is just six miles away, and that's where Herod ruled. Jesus isn't hiding. He's literally going across the lake and says, I see you. I get it. You arrested the one that prepared the way. It ain't scaring me. I'm not backing down because this is the truth. Jesus doesn't back down. The thing is is that Jesus puts himself in our way and he does it in so many different ways. For me, I go to the mountains and and he puts himself in his way because of how, how he inspires me with what creation looks like. He inspires me underneath the stars to remind myself of how big he is and how small I am. He also inspires me when I first saw my kids for the first time. You see, Jesus puts himself in our way 
moment by moment, step by step. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That is who he is. He isn't a God that's far away. This is what makes him different than any other God. He doesn't live somewhere else. He doesn't put the world into motion and forget about it. He is here right now. Right now with us. My boys, when I tell them this, they're like, they're like what do you mean? Like right now, I'm like, like right now. Like you can meet with Jesus right now. I was praying this morning, and I know y'all might think this is weird, but I was praying this morning, and, and, and there were some things going on, and, and I was just like, God, I feel like I'm being attacked. And I was like, God, what do you want me to know right now? And he had this picture, and this is really bizarre and weird, but this is just how God sees me. He said, hey, man, here's your Jesus suit. It's unzooped. It's ready for you. You want to jump in? I'm ready to zip you up because I'm ready for you to walk. So come on, I'm zipping you up in this and you are gonna be protected and you're gonna walk out there and you are going to teach the word of God this morning and you are ready for it because I made you for it. Sitting on that couch back there, Jesus told me that. Jesus puts himself in our way and he is God with us. In Psalm 139, he says, where shall I go? From your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and the and the dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there you your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me uh, be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Isaiah in this text is saying, you have seen a great light. Jesus is here. Light has dawned in this. But here's the thing. How often do we hide from the presence of God? How often do we hide from God as the great light? Don't, here's the thing. You're, you're not the first one because Adam and Eve were the first one. They sin, what happens? They hide. And God's like, where are you guys? You think he didn't know where they were? No, he knew exactly where he were, they were. Because when God seeks for us, it's not actually that he's looking for us, it's that he's inviting us into something. Where can we go to hide from your spirit? There's nowhere. So why do we lie to ourselves sometimes? that he can't see us. Or even that we lie to ourselves and believe the enemy that he's abandoned us. The truth is, is God puts himself in our way. It's just sometimes we don't want to look and we don't want to notice. But Jesus puts himself away and he puts himself in our midst in really incredible ways, sometimes small, sometimes seemingly insignificant, but sometimes in these moments that you're like, man, that's just undeniably God in my life. The next point is that God calls us to come with vulnerability. So in Matthew 4, 17, he says, for that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I believe what part of what, if you had to take all of the gospel and put it into chat GPT-3 and say, I need you to summarize this in a sentence. Come on, I see some nerds in here, okay. Summarize this in a sentence. This is what it would be. 
because it is repeated all the time. It is Jesus's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. But the thing is, is when you think about repentance, what, do you, what, what words are you saying when you repent? Anybody? I'm sorry, right? But the truth is, is repentance isn't about telling you're sorry. Repentance, the actual Greek word is metanoia. It means to change your mind. It means to be doing 180. And I'll tell you, sometimes like that, that, that's not, my kids tell me they're sorry all the time, but they sure is not always doing a 180. Because what God is inviting us into is a vulnerability for us to say the truth. That confession, if you put it in front of, if you went into you know, law and order, dum, dum, right? Like, and you're in that room and someone says, we're trying to get a confession. We're not asking for them to say they're sorry. We're asking for them to say, to tell this truth, to be honest with him. And Jesus is trying to say, be honest about where you are because I'm gonna do amazing things with the truth. I don't need your sorry, you know why? Because I've paid for everything. It's over, it's done. You don't have to apologize ever again. When you come to me, if you just sit here and tell me I'm sorry, it's not that he's gonna be bored with it, but I mean, kinda he's probably bored with it. Because what he wants you to do is to say the truth. Because he's gonna do great things with that truth. Because when we put the truth in the light, particularly our sin, it invites us to ask the question, what are you going to do with that truth? Here's the truth. Sometimes, like, I have to say, I just don't feel like being a husband right now. <laughs> I don't want to be kind to that client. I really don't want to be nice to my kids right now. But when I tell that to God, it doesn't take him but a second to convince me of what he wants me to know about that. And it doesn't come in conviction. I mean, sorry, it doesn't come in guilt or shame. It comes in conviction. But no, 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 God doesn't want me to be in this moment where my children, where I'm angry at them and using arrows as word, words as arrows. But he wants me to get on their level and teach them what grace and discipline looks like because that's what he does with me. So the question for you, I think, is, is are you coming to Christ with vulnerability with him and with his others around? And I think that he wants us to know that. The next point is that he says, come and follow me. And we're gonna watch a clip here um, uh, um, to, to kind of, instead of just reading the text. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you. Teacher, well, we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. That's your word. Ah! 
My brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I can, um, I can put myself in my boat moment at the side of the ocean, a chapel in Camp Glisten. Dahlonega, Georgia, 1998. I was an awkward kid. You guys know. You guys, you can imagine, you know. Pascal children know me pretty well. I was an awkward kid. But I heard this horrible singer-songwriter up on stage singing a song, and he was singing... You are the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. You are the bread of life. You are the bread of life. I could put myself in that moment. 13-year-olds do dumb things, right? It's true. It's amazing what God can do when he meets even some of us who our frontal lobes aren't even fully developed yet. I didn't have a family who was like talking about the gospel every day. I didn't have that. We went to church, but it was nominal. I didn't know that that day would wreck my life. I also wouldn't know that that day wouldn't just completely like put me on different trajectories I could never imagine. I never would imagine having him being blessed by three kids, two of that I had this opportunity to adopt and you know, one that is like 
exactly like me. He was over here talking, to, like talking back to me while I was preaching, and he was like overwhelmed with emotion. I was like, I know, buddy. I'm sorry I did that to you, but I'm so glad I did that to you. If there's a text that I could sit in and just for the rest of my life, it would be this, because I never want to forget that Jesus looked me in the eye. I love the pregnant pause that was in there where he says, follow me. Follow me. I have so much more than you ever would want. You want a Jeep, dude? You want a Jeep? When I can give you eternal life? when I can give you things like pictures of what the gospel looks like through adopting your kids, when I can take you to, to Jordan and sit underneath the same stars of Abraham and literally laugh out loud because when you said hey, you're gonna make me as numerous as the stars, I'm like, Abraham had to be like out of his mind. But how often do we forget that the king of the universe called you? those of us in faith. And for those of us who aren't, that right now, even in this moment, he is calling you. And those of you who are far from faith, guess what? There are several people in the Bible who are much further along, farther, farther than you are right now in this moment. And he says, hey, guess what? You're so far away, but guess what? Come on, let's go. I got more for you. I got better for you. I got so much for you. I read this text before and I was like, what, what? They left everything, what does that mean? And like at some level, I feel for the, the dad in this. But Zebedee, as, he, as, as his sons leave the, the, like can you imagine Zebedee coming home and the chosen actually kind of has this moment in it and we're not gonna watch it, but the, can you imagine coming home and, and they're like, well, what are, we, what, what are we gonna tell mom? And, then, and Zebedee's like, no, it doesn't matter. The rabbi told you to go. You thought that you were going to be a fisherman all your life? Nope. The rabbi told you to go and you're going to follow and go in that direction with him. And when he came home, it was late. He was probably exhausted. And when it is late and exhausted and I walk my six steps up into, from my office to, to the kitchen, you know I've had a bad day. So you know she was waiting on his, his wife was waiting on him. I was like, oh goodness. And he didn't come back with the boys. What happened? Oh my gosh. And he comes in and he has this bright eyes and he goes, you have no idea what happened today. She goes, I bet it's pretty bad. No, he's like, no, it's the greatest news in the world. Our boys are no longer part of the family business. They're a part of God's business now. When Kay decided to, to accept Jesus in his heart, I realized that he was entering what the great fabled philosophical person, Stephen Curtis Chapman would say, this is a great adventure. As corny as that dude had and his mullet flowing in the air back in the 90s, the truth is, is there is no doubt this adventure is amazing. So of course they left. Because the truth is, is that when Jesus calls you, he calls to let go of everything in your life. And when we read this text, like we can't not hear, come follow me and not be reminded of our own story. 
And what does Jesus do? Does he go around and he starts setting up the church? He says, all right, all right, all right, Peter, so you're going to have this job. No, he says, come on, I'm already going because look, I'm in Capernaum and we're at the Sea of Galilee. I'm not stopping. I know that John's arrested. I know I got plenty going on and I ain't going to have time to train you. So you're just going to watch me do some things. And what does he do? He says, come see and you will find me. Come and see and you'll find me. And notice in the last part of this text, he goes out through Galilee and he starts doing incredible things like healing diseases and pains and oppressed and demons and all of these things that we would say, whoa, look at that. That's amazing. We were in a, I was teaching a spiritual gifts class just a couple uh, months ago here at the church and we had this spectrum and we talked about like the idea of the miraculous. And you know what we would put at the very top of like the most miraculous thing? It's these things. Watching Jesus heal people, watching people rise from the dead, all of these things, that's miraculous, right? Let me tell you where miraculous is. When someone has harmed you and you turn around and you forgive them. I mean, healing's amazing. But if you want to talk about miraculous in your everyday that you don't even think about, it's that moment where Jesus is transforming your life, where a trigger would happen, And you have the guts to swallow your pride because you know what? That's what Jesus invites us into living. That's miraculous. Don't get me wrong. I'm probably a pretty, one of the more charismatic people in this this bunch. I love a good, you know, ribbon dance sometimes in the back. I I, I like all of it. I, I, I have been in all sorts of communities. But I think the thing is, is I think sometimes we forget the most miraculous thing of all. That even though Jesus does these incredible things and he invites us into it, it's the fact that he invites us into it. And that he has authority to do all of this stuff. But what gathered the great crowds? Certainly it was people watching and wanting to see the almost magical presence of Jesus. But it was his authority and what he was offering is what brought them there. So, come and see. I think he invites us back to this edge of this lake. As we're closing, this is where he wants you. He wants you on the shore. Luke helped me build a nice little boat here. It's got Ninjago figures here. We've got Kai at the helm, I'm pretty sure. And uh, I forget the, the cyborg guy's name. Kane, I think is his, you know. And... But I want you to put yourself, and I, I want you to either close your eyes and put your head down. We're not doing an altar call or anything like that. Don't forget. But I want you to try and put yourself and imagine yourself in this place. At the edge of the sea, on the lakeside. Where is Jesus? Picture him there. And where are you?
Are you in the crowds being taught by Jesus? Are you in the boat? Are you next to him? Are you drowning in the water? Put your eyes on Jesus as he tells you, come, follow me. Come, follow me. I have a life that's richer and bigger than you can imagine. Come on, follow me. Anna, follow me. Lisa, I got you, let's go. Drop it all, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, everything that you could imagine for your life, for the life of your kids, for the life of everything. I promise you what I have is so much better. Father, we love you and we thank you that you meet us here. You are Emmanuel, God with us. You are a God that has an agenda and you don't change it, you invite people into it. So we thank you for that invitation. We thank you for who you are. Amen.